This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via other participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, joining me for the final one of our 22-23 season previews is a regular City commentator on the media scene, uh, known by me for a very long time. I can't believe, Rich, it's 33 years ago this August that uh, we went to uh, our first match together in a car when the journalists were kicked off the uh, team coach. And uh, I had my first mobile phone in the car then, and it was... uh, it was all very uh, innovative 33 years ago and the days of the little chefs and what have you. Richard, good morning. And uh, it seems a long time ago, doesn't it? 33. Well, probably, Dave, because it was a long time ago. And, and I'm about to enter my 43rd season covering Bristol City. And the first game was December 1979. So that's even longer ago. Uh, and yeah, it makes me feel old. But, yeah, um, yeah, me too. I think you're, I think you're about a year. I think you're about a year younger than me, but I can remember that opening game. It was uh, away at Wigan, yeah? And, uh, you know, oh, God, all those days. The days travelling on the team coach, I've ever laughed. But uh, mm. I think we had a, a few laughs uh, over that uh, over that period as well. But so many changes uh, in football over that time. Uh, not least, uh, I, t- I talk this sort of off-topic a little bit, uh, women's football, um, we're in the final on Sunday, 87,000 at Wembley. Uh, it's captured the nation's imagination, hasn't it? I haven't captured mine. Um, I don't watch it. Um, <laughs> I know I'm going to upset a lot of people by that, but I, I think women should play football. I think it's wonderful the standard they play to. Um, it doesn't particularly interest me. I've watched a bit of women's club football and uh, it just doesn't grab me. I, I think what little I have seen on TV, I think the standard's very high now. Um, of, of women's football I congratulate them all on that but uh, it's a bit like women's cricket and women's rugby to me uh, fantastic that they play it I don't want to watch it so that's, that's I'll, 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 I'll be out of step with everyone else there I probably will watch on uh, uh, the final because my wife will be watching it and I, of course I hope England win um, but uh, no it's, it's, it's not a sport that's, that really grabs me I, 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 the other thing is watching so much men's football um, I'm glad to have the summer off to watch cricket to be honest which is my main passion if you like um, and uh, I have quite enough football during the winter without uh, having to watch a 
competitions in the summer. Yeah. Well, here we are, Bristol City. We're in the uh, championship. I think this would be season number uh, well, 2015. Season number seven, is it? I think so. Maybe season number eight. Um, Nigel Pearson has been uh, at the helm now for, was it 16 months? Yeah. Uh, what, the, the, he got the transfer business done early, but then other clubs seem to have been picking up some of the players who we were linked with. We're always linked with players more recently, but as, a, as an outsider looking in, that, that, that was good early business by Nigel, wasn't it? Particularly with uh, Kane Wilson and Cal Naismith, who in their respective clubs and divisions were top dollar, even though they were free. <laughs> Yeah, I like the backgrounds of a lot of them. I mean, but they are free transfer signings and uh, you have got to be a genius as a manager to, to survive on free transfer signings in the championship. And uh, I, I certainly think there's something to be recommended in all those players. I think Nigel did do well bringing them in early. I think it's important they're in part, they're part of the pre-season uh, and play as much as, as they can um, and get involved with the club and settle down. I think that's, that's vitally important. You don't want to sign someone on the eve of the season if you can help it. Um, but they are free transfers. And I, and I think expectations should be levelled on that basis. You know, I mean, obviously, there's not the money being spent in the championship now that there was a few years ago because of COVID and, and all the things that are happening. So the competition in that respect is less, but there are still clubs spending money. And it's a, it's a competition that is so fierce, the championship, that uh, I think you have got to spend money. And Bristol City simply weren't in a position to spend money. We talked about this last year. Um, their finances are, are not good. Uh, I've had a really, really bad year where they lost £38 million. Um, and, but for the re relaxation in rules because of COVID, probably would have fallen foul of the, of the um, fair, uh, football the Yeah, so, you know, they, they probably may still fall foul of that. But the, the fact is the finances weren't there for Nigel to go out and spend a lot of money. Yeah. And we've talked about it before, the glaring omission to the squad, if you like, at the moment, is a goal-scoring striker. Uh, and to, to buy, sign a goal-scoring striker in the Championship, you've got to spend 10, 15, 20 million pounds. And they were, they simply weren't in a position to do that. So he's got to make the most of the of the, the squad he's got. I, th I think any promotion team needs a 20-goal striker. That's always been my opinion. Maybe And maybe two, you know, ideally. If you look back on Bristol City promotion teams of the past, you know, they've always had uh, a really, really top, you know, top goal, at least one, a prolific goal scorer. Now, Andy Wyman had a wonderful season last year. I was going to really say, that him. was his golden boot season, Andy Wyman. It but it was, his best by, it was best by eight goals. He'd never, never, he'd never got more than 12 before. So, um, you know, that was an exceptional season. For him. Can he keep it going? I hope so. He's a hard-working player who I really like. But to rely on Andy Wyman to be your main 20-25 goal scorer is, 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 you know, asking a lot for him to do it, do it again. And I don't see anyone else there doing it. So that is a, an omission Nigel was unable to, to correct because he simply didn't have the money to do it. So uh, what I think he's tried to do is try and make the team, he signed a creative midfield player. He's, he's signed a wing back that's very skillful. Uh, and I think he's probably looking at the let's make other areas of the team uh, score goals. And that's what you've got to do if you haven't got one person doing it for you up front. I mean, Andy Vyman's season was remarkable. And I think if you look at the three strikers between them, they did get 50 goals, and I think they self-created 29 of them, which says, we'll come on to the midfield in a minute. And I was just thinking, actually, in the shower this morning, you know, if you look at who we've got to choose from when everybody's fit, which is Vyman, Martin, Semenyo, Wells and Conway, yeah, because I think Tommy Conway has forced himself in, um, save for the absence of a 
a Dwight Gale or one of those big hitters, yeah, I would say half of the clubs in the division, half of the clubs would look at that and say, well, you know, we're playing three of them, but if we change formation, play with two, that's not a bad collection, is it? Are we, are we, I know we can be hypercritical, us that have been following them for 50 years plus, but, you know, we didn't do so bad with the goal scoring last season. In fact, I think it was only five clubs scored more than us. So what was that such an acute problem after all? The key to him is Semenyo, in my view, um, and he's injured. And yeah. has had a long-term injury. It's been he's been injured since back to the end of last last season. So he's, he's taken a long recovery period for him. And so first of all, we've got to see is he the same player after that sort of injury? He was just developing really nicely. And, and of course, then you think, well, will Bristol City sell him? Because a lot of people were looking at him now because he's been injured. That that hasn't come about. So that might be a dual-edged thing. That, that it's bad that he's injured, but good that he's still at, still at the club. If he continues to progress then that might solve the problem. I don't consider Tommy Conway someone who's going to score you 20 goals in his first no, season. No. Um, so, you, you know, I'm looking at where, where is the one person who's going to get you 20, 25 goals, because that's what you need. Now, um, Chris Martin isn't going to do it. Um, Chris Martin, I, I like as a real hard-working centre-forward, but he's not he's not getting better. He's, 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 he's an age where he's... He, we he's going to get slower. What, I mean, he's what not... you see is what you get with Chris Martin, a very hard-working player, does well for the team, lovely bloke, uh, and and I, I like him in the team. Some people don't, but I, I like him in the team. I think he's... He, I like a, a, a sort of... Uh, big target man if you like um, and I like a sharper ones playing around him and that's what they had with Semenya and, and Wyman so I like that system um, I just fear uh, Naki Wells to me has been a big disappointment to be blunt uh, when he signed I thought he was a brilliant signing because he's always played well against Bristol City his goal scoring at Bristol City hasn't been up to where he's, up to where he's been before um, so I think he's been a disappointment and if he can suddenly grasp it and, and, and get back to his best form then that might solve the problem but, but it's, it's all a bit of, it's all might it's all might be it's, it's Wells' disappointment because he's been played out of position I mean no, it was, no, 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 no 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 not a bit um, he's had the chances to, 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 to impress and he hasn't taken them he, he's, he's not been the finisher that he was at his previous clubs uh, I don't think he's been the player I expected him to be so, to be to be perfectly Fair honest and, and he might become that he's a good player we all know what he's done previously um, so um, he could suddenly come good but it's another might and and uh, I, I think if you put question marks over City that's, that's where the question marks lie for this season Yeah um, so, some of the uh, some of the players that have gone out the door uh, you know that. Well, I guess you, you talk about people that have been a disappointment. Casey Palmer, four point two million alleged cost, gone out the door for for nothing. Callum O'Dowda never fulfilled his potential. Others, I mean, we're getting we did get rid of some Deadwood, but are you like me worried about the current out of contract players next summer? You mentioned Naki Wells. You know, he he cost a princely sum. Diju walked out the door. For nothing, Naki Wells could well do the same. But then, and you talked about recoveries from injury with, with Semenyo. Thomas Callas has been out of the side five months now with, as Nigel said in an interview on Radio Bristol this week, a niggly problem. Five months, yeah? He said in the Radio Bristol interview, I've no idea when he's going to be back playing, mm. right? With the World Cup break coming, that's going to be a mini pre-season. But if... Callas doesn't come back until Christmas, yeah, because he's not clearly going to feature this side of the World Cup break. He could well walk out the door in the summer, and that's another eight and a half million pounds worth of player that's gone. 
And then Dan Bentley's out of contract. De Silva's out of contract as well. You know, it's it, it, it's a mess in that respect, isn't it? Yeah, but you're talking about a mess that was created several years ago. And you can't yes. undo history. Um, and that's got nothing to do with Nigel Pearson. It's got no. nothing to do with Richard Gould, who's now the chief executive. It was a mess created during Mark Ashton's time as, as chief executive. Uh, and the, the club's finances were allowed to go out of control. And, yeah. and also some very, some very, I don't think it was poor recruitment so much as, as the fact that let, letting the players get late in their contracts, having to let them go for nothing. To be honest, the only one that left this summer who I was concerned about is Robbie Cundy. Uh, I couldn't care less about the others leaving. I don't think, I don't think Bakinson was, was, was making great progress. No. Uh, Callum O'Dowd has had, Chance after chance after chance, got a lot of injuries as well. Callum, to be to be fair to him, Casey Palmer flattered to deceive, in my view. Yeah. A lot of people liked him, but to me, he was a good player going forward, hopeless defensively. And we've had a few of them in the past. You've got to have midfield players who can do all the both jobs. You know, I don't I don't like a, a midfield player who's just allowed to be. Uh, unless it's a Wyman who's a semi-striker and you've only got one striker up front. But I don't like a midfield player behind that who's, who doesn't do defensive duties. They've got to, they've all got to. And I'm sure Nigel Pearson in, in force, enforces that. Um, but I, I thought Cundy was doing OK. And I like the fact we had a settled back three, um, if you like, um, even though Callas wasn't playing. You had Callas in reserve. Yeah. Um, so uh, I like to settle back three. I'm, de- I'm delighted Tim Close has signed a new contract, but he's another one who's not getting any better. You know, he's, he's getting an advance. And he's had a bit of a disappointing, poor, uh, a bit of a disappointing pre-season by all accounts. Because but I said no store by pre-season day. Pre-season but Zach Viner seems to have uh, been redeemed from, mm. from where he was. And highly likely that Viner could start ahead of him. And what getting back to what you said about Cundy as well, when we were chatting to Gary Hours earlier this week, Robbie Cundy was a right-sided player of a three. And if you look at it now, close, close, you can never get that right. He's middle. Um, everything else is biased across to the left. So you're absolutely right. Letting Cundy go seems a bit of a, a bit of a mistake. I've got to pick up on what you said about the contracts running out, because at what point should you be offering new contracts to the likes of Callas um, and Dan Bentley? And we come on to Masengo because that's a separate conversation again. But what con- at what point should you be offering them contracts? Should it have been at the start of this calendar year rather than in the summer, which is under Richard Gould's watch? That's not a criticism, but at what point do you try and retain them? Well, you, do, you don't let them go into their last season if, if, you, if you rate them. You know that you, you can't you can't let them go into the last. You've got to sort it out before then. But that that comes down to how highly you rate the players, how highly the manager rates the players. Obviously, is the, is, is the key thing. Um, whether they're they're going to want to stay anyway? Do they want to? Are they going to want to move on? I mean, I, I think Cundy wanted to move, didn't he? And he, he's gone to Barnsley. And um, good luck. Who get him. minutes? Who get minutes there? Won't he? That's the key. Yeah, thing. well, that's that was his eye. But he was he was in the team, you know. So he, did he not want to fight for his place? I don't know. Um, I, I I think he would have had a good chance of, of being in the team at the start of the season. I mean, done well at the end of last season anyway he wanted to go so you've got to take that into account so all i'm all I'm saying on the on the um, administrative front is that bristol city now have a brilliant chief executive and that was yes. not the case before richard gould came to the club so that is one huge difference in in the favor uh, of, of, of being progress being made but i am not like most city fans, one who starts the season expecting promotion, I, and I don't, I don't think they should get promotion this season. I'd be worried if they did because you can get it too quick. Um, what I like is gradual progress, and, yeah. and I hope, I hope Nigel Pearson is still with us at the end of the season. Yeah. I hope that progress has been made, even if it's just a mid-table. 
Um, I think it, 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 then you've got something to build on. You've got a platform to build on. If you, it's been proved with other clubs, you can go zooming up and, and, and go into the Premier League. Okay, you take the riches that go with it. You can come plonking back down again and 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 be worse off than where you were when you when you went up. I, I, I prefer gradually building a promotion squad as going right back to the seventies. You know, we had Bristol City when I first started covering them, always bottom of the second division, always fighting to stay up. Alan Dix comes in. Year after year, gradually things improve. They get the cut run in 74, um, bring in young players, mix them with the Scottish signings. Um, but it's over four or five years that team developed. And, and I don't do think that, that, that situation hasn't that, changed. Though? Didn't we do that slow build? Because, I mean, OK, Cottrell got us back up to this division. And then Lee Johnson came in. And to the outsider, if you look at the years he was in charge, Every year was year-on-year improvement. And were it not for cataclysmic second half of the season collapses, yeah, you know, we may well have reached that holy grail. So it Well, I go back to before, Lee. Why get rid of Steve Cottrell? Well, why? Um, um, if, you look, if you look back now to where Bristol City were when they won promotion, and the last couple of results where they won promotion by in six goals away at Bradford, then they beat Walsall 8-2, 8-2. at home. Um, they go up to the next division. Steve Cottrell starts talking about needing to spend 8-10 million on a, on a striker. So here we are talking the same well, thing we're talking years Andre, later. We're talking Andre Gray, Dwight Gale. Dwight Gale. But from a defender's point of view, um, we were actually with Harry Maguire, weren't we? That was uh, but Steve long. was absolutely right. That's what was needed to, to make them competitive in the next division up, you know, but it was all, oh, you know, and he, and he, he kept banging on about it. And I think the board didn't like it in the end. And, and Steve was, you know, uh, a bloke who had great self-belief in himself, you know, always touching on arrogance, but, but that's what you need. Um, but what he'd built, what he'd done is he'd built um, a side out of good uh, League One players to win yeah. League One. And, and that's how he went about it. Then he wanted to get championship players to win the championship. And that seems to me eminently logical. And when you think what they've spent since, eight yeah. to 10 million on Dwight Gale or Andre Gray um, would have made perfect, would have made perfect yeah. sense. It was a lot of money back then. I understand that. But if yeah, no, no, no I'm not saying it was a lot of money, but it's all those years ago when they were saleable assets because their careers were on the way up then, weren't but, they? But, but this is going back to what I say about gradual progress, Dave. Bristol City in my time have infamously shot themselves in the foot just when progress is being made. I go back to John Ward, I go back to Steve Cottrell, I go back to Lee Johnson. Lee, Lee, as you said, was making gradual progress and bear in mind selling three players, best players every year, virtually. So, yeah. so you had, you know, the, the, the Joe Bryan, uh, Bobby Reed, Aidan Flint year, you know. Um, they had the, you had the, the year where I Brian Hill left after, after he'd already sold uh, Lloyd Kelly and, and um, Adam Webster. You know, Brian Hill left the following December. You know, you can't survive in the championship and be successful doing that. Suddenly your best player. Adam Webster was player of the year the season before, for God's sake, and they sold him. You know, so you can't do that in the championship. Here we are now relying on signing free transfers. And yet those players went for, Webster went for um, 20 million, Lloyd Kelly went for 13 million. And still with all that, the finances are shot to bits. So yeah. who was running yeah. the club well, then? Chelsea How was it being run very bad? That summer, which is three years ago, Chelsea weren't truly took our pants down because for Callas, De Silva and Palmer, they picked up the uh, best part of 14 million quid if you add the three figures together. And the only one of those who you could say, well, the only one of those who is going to make maybe some money is De Silva because, you know, he, he seems as though he's playing games on the grass. I think Callas is going to walk next summer because, right, they could have offered him new terms. And I think with Andy Vyman, he and Nathan Baker both 
they were they both did new contracts last year at reduced terms. And I think Andy, he didn't know how good he was going to be after that ACL injury. Yeah. And I think if he'd have known he was going to have that season, you know, he maybe wouldn't have signed at reduced terms because I think the players that are out of contract next summer, um, they are going to be hedging their bets as to whether they can get a better offer, you know, and you know, you, you hope that they'll give a hundred percent playing for Bristol city. I'm sure they will, but next summer, you know, we're still not going to be able to splash the cash and those three could walk, couldn't they? Yeah, but they're not going to find it as easy to get clubs and get big well, people this as is they it. You know, three or four years ago. Yeah. So they might be finding the grass is greener on the other side. They may not. Um, but that's just football every season. Of you, course. The club's got to be successful apply, to keep it its best player. It to us, you know, because mm. we, took, we took Naismith off a of Luton, you know, mm. because we were able to offer him a better deal than he'd have got there. Yeah. What's your view on the Hanoa... Masengo, because this is another player that was acquired, what was it, three years ago now? And he's 20, turned 21 about now. He's played 100 games at championship level for Bristol City. That's probably including sub-appearances. But I think one assist and no goals. And here he is. You know, he's, he's the one that I thought in the summer would go. But Nigel was quite pointed about him in the summer. Uh, sorry, in his interview this week, when he said, well... Nobody's come for him. Hmm. You know, yeah. he said he's a player, he's in the squad. If, if someone had come for him, he'd have sold him. That's absolutely certain. And, and I think that applies to virtually every player. If there'd been a big offer for Semenyo, there'd been a big offer because, because of the financial situation. They have to sell. They wanted to sell. Yeah. And also, by, only by selling could Nigel get any money at all to, to spend on bringing new players in. Yeah. Hence, he hasn't sold. Hence, it's free transfers. It's, a, it's as simple yeah. as that. Because, and it's all because of the, the way the club was run pre-him arriving, pre-Richard Gould. Do you think, I mean, because Ashton, who seems to be sort of weaving his spell at Ipswich on the few occasions you look up there in terms of electing players, do you think Lee Johnson, without Mark Ashton, might have ended up having, and the club, be in a better place if Ashton hadn't been around? Because Ashton was sniffing round at the time Cottrell was on his way out. And Ashton you know, has just been, he seems to be like the Rasputin of the club, but, you know, he invaded... He was, just, he was just given too much power. He was given too much yeah. power. And, and I go back to when Lee Johnson had joined the club, the day he joined the club as manager, we went to the press conference and in walked together Mark Ashton and Lee Johnson, because Ashton had just arrived as well. John Lansdowne was there and they all started talking about we this and we that, and it's a team effort and all that. And... They didn't want Lee to be manager. They wanted him to be the puppet that, that they could control. And 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 he was 34, for goodness sake. So they thought they've got a guy there that, yeah, you'll listen. Can you imagine Nigel Pearson listening to Mark Ashton? Um, you know, well, Nigel, Nigel Pearson, Pearson listening to anybody on the board. He's telling to do one. But interestingly, yeah. again, getting back to Ashton, right? Ashton, you know, he wouldn't have wanted Paul Cook as his manager because Paul Cook wouldn't hold back. No, no, yeah. Paul yeah, Cook obviously was exactly. interviewed for John here, and he's brought in. Okay, McKenna has come from Man United. He's got a good pedigree, but I bet Marsh Ash, Mark Ashton has got an easier ride with McKenna in charge than he would have, as you say, somebody like Nigel Pearson. So there's no point harping on about history. Um, that was a bad period for Bristol City, um, uh, and, and I, 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 agree. I thought they had a young manager in Lee Johnson, modern ways, um, immaculate. He turned out good front man for the club, um, making progress with the team. 
and we get to a game against Cardiff and we're all packing up to go. I've been written up the thing and we say it's just been announced on social media that Lee Johnson's going. And that was like an hour after the game against Cardiff at home that they yeah. that they got beaten. And and, and I, I thought, what? Not again, please. You know, who are you going to get instead? And six weeks later, they appointed Yeah, six weeks. And if, if that isn't running a business in a direly bad way, then I don't know what it is. Because if they wanted Dean Holden, he would have taken over the next day. Uh, uh, Dean Holden got the job because they couldn't get the one they the ones they wanted or, or when they thought that might apply for it. Or the ones they wanted. Always happens when Bristol City yeah. gets the job away. The list of candidates to replace the man is so poor in terms of what the you know fans were saying. I oh, Stephen Gerrard, you know Stephen Gerrard, you know coming to Bristol City. Every time there's all these you know we want this bloke, we want that bloke. Well, yeah, you want them. So you get rid of of, of Lee Johnson by harrowing him. Yeah, haranguing him on social media and that's that's no doubt partly what was responsible for Lee going you know that he gets all these people go on oh Johnson's got to go Johnson's got to go they're not people who, who've got the long term is thinking of the club in hand they, they want next Saturday's result and this is why I keep going back to build slowly if Nigel Pearson's the man then stick with him um, and then they have stuck with him because he had a horrendous home record in particular to start with, probably the worst of any manager I can think of. Yeah. And, and and they did stick with him. But there was nearly a bust up last season when John Lansdowne said publicly that the team were underperforming. Nigel reacted to that as he would. And uh, I don't think there's, I think that there's an uneasy relationship there. And, and it wouldn't surprise me any time if Nigel Pearson left on, on the basis of a, a bust up with somebody criticising him. Yeah. Um, I think he, he's, he, like most old style managers, you know, believes in his own ability. He believes he should run things, you know, and that is not the modern way. The modern way is a head coach and, a, and the chairman having a say and the chief exec having a say and all that sort of thing. And that is not how Nigel's probably been used to it. Um, I think he's impressive. Um, from a media point of view, he's a bit in and out. He can be a bit prickly, um, but that's, that's no problem. He's always been like that. You know, I've, I've, had, I've, had, a few, I've had many, many like that and many worse than him. Um, but I like how he speaks. Uh, I, I think he is the sort of person Bristol City want. And again, if you if, if Nigel Pearson left, say they lost the first three or four games of the season, all the social media stuff would start again. Business done no good. Who would you get then? You know what we've got at the moment is a manager who's done the job that Bristol City want doing, which is to take a club from the Championship into the Premier League. You find another one if he goes that's got that ped that pedigree, right? Well, he said as much. He said tail end of last season. He said, "Well, people want me out. Uh, some some." People want me out, and he said, "But uh, the problems are here. They're not going to go away. Just if I go, exactly. yeah. and the people who wanted him out were the same people that wanted Lee Johnson out, and the same people who wanted other managers out in the in the past. You know, um, yeah. because we're, the club are on a bad run. You know, yeah. um, they stuck with Lee Johnson through an eight match losing run. That's what got me. And 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 you thought, yeah, thankfully at last we've got a, a board that'll." You know, Steve Lauser was brave enough to stick by all the social media. That was when the uh, with the Lee Tomlin penalty shot over the bar, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the second season, well, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Eight, eight defeats on the trot, and, yeah. and then you look at you look now at the team compared to the team that played Man United in the, in the uh, League Cup and beat them, and, and ran Manchester City really close, genuinely yes, close over two games, and where Bristol City are now, and you've got to look at again getting rid of Lee Johnson. Was that right? No, of course it wasn't right. Do you, you think know, they, they bowed to pressure? City? Do you think, because Lee was very self-confident, yeah, and some people self-confident verging on arrogance, do you think Lee would have benefited by having a director of football, a father figure no, type? don't uh, like directors of football. Another, another too many cooks. 
I think there's too many too many people involved in football now on the coaching side anyway. I don't like mentors. I don't like women. Um, or, or every, you know, there's more people in tracksuits in team photos now than there is there is players. And I don't like that in any sport. I think it's it's gone ridiculously high the number of people that are employed. You know, why why would you want a mental coach if you've got a manager? The manager part of the manager's job is to motivate the players and get them playing properly. Yeah. I don't all the you know, and it's making them precious. I think it's making precious players. And if you go around the new training round, funnily enough, I have. Um, I went round. We went round last week. Well, for goodness sake, a room with pods in for them to s- relax and listen to music. I mean, the, these egg-shaped pods, and they can go in. And, I, I st- you start to think, you know, what uh, what is there left that they can properly do? And the old players look round and look at it, and I, I know I, I, I sound like a dinosaur, but I think you can make press players too precious, too too you know involved. You know, they, they need a little, and, and that's why I think a hard school manager like Nigel is good to go with that. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I'll, I'm all behind him. I, I think everyone should be behind him. And I don't think they should, that should change if they don't have a very good start to the season because no, he's I been think, able well, to we'll sign three transfer players. Yeah, we talk about the uh, the opening uh, sequence anyway. But uh, I say on the coaching side, I mean, Nigel still hasn't got this uh, head of recruitment. But when you've not got any money to spend, it's not it's no point having one, really. And we've done... Well, what's the head of recruitment? The old chief scout is that? that well, probably, yeah, um, yeah. So well, that's fine. Have a head of recruitment. Well, I, I, money, I went to the HPC. Was the number of seats with analysts there that sit there and do all this studying uh, of, and everything is based on statistics now and video clips, yeah. And as Terry and Clive used to do, uh, you know, you can't be going up to Bolton on a cold, wet Tuesday night and seeing a player in the flesh performing. But we have made. We have made one addition to the coaching staff with Jason Yule. So he's got Curtis Fleming and Jason Yule. Do you think, he, I, I think he, he's, and they've got Pat Mountain as well. Yeah. Do you think we've got it right on the coaching and support side for Nigel? He must I think so. Know. Yeah, I don't know the answer. His how do you, how do you rate choices, the coach? I don't see them coaching. I, 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 I mean, he must rate Jason Yule, obviously. I'm, Jason Yule was a very good player. Um, and uh, I've, I've watched Jason play many times. I, I can remember watching him play, I'm pretty sure, in a reserve game against Bristol Rovers at someone like Yate um, uh, very early in his career. Um, and so, but good players don't necessarily make good coaches. So the, the answer is, I just don't know. I like Curtis Fleming very much. I think he's a, he's a really good, nice guy, talks very sensibly. Um, so I hope that they have, I, but, I, but I simply couldn't comment on that. So unless you're at the training ground every day and you see the relationship, no. with the players, how no. they do it, how can you possibly, how can you possibly uh, comment okay. on that? Okay, let's look at the uh, shape of the side, or let's look at the, the side, this uh, opening day fixture against Hull. Um, the fact that uh, Antoine Semenyo is injured, it does make Nigel's team selection a little easier because you've got the situation where, it's, to me, the side looks like it's going to line up. Obviously, Dan Bentley in goal. You're probably right. Tim Kloss is going to get the nod over Zach Viner. So it'll be Kloss, uh, Atkinson, Naismith. Uh, left wing back is going to be Jada Silva in the absence of Cameron Pring. Right wing back, if he's fit, is going to be um, the, the lad from Forest Green, Ken Wilson. So that's I don't, think, I don't think I don't think he'll feature. I don't you think, think he's played. I, I don't think he played. I don't think he's played enough preseason games. I, I think he's fit now, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing him. But I very much doubt if he'll play. So you game. think? Okay, so if he's out, then it was interesting. We discussed this on one of the preview pods. Do you play Alex Scott? in that right wing back position where he spent most of last season or 
do you put Sykes, who played there last week in that impressive, as much as it can be, win away at Bournemouth? Yeah. So, and then, then we'll just come back to that in a second. Then in the middle, it looks like it's Joe Williams, who's had a proper pre-season for his first time here, and Matty James. And then up front, you've got um, definite starter Chris Martin and Andy Vyman. So would you put Scott at right wing back and, and play um, Sykes as the third man up front? Or would you or would you put Sykes at right wing back and have Scott playing in behind? Um, well, I think you've got to look at the, where they did line up against Bournemouth. And I think most managers, whether Nigel fits this, I don't know, like to play a lot of the side they're going to play in the first game in the, in the final friendly. And obviously the final friendly went well. So I wouldn't deviate too far from, from, from what he did there. And I, I, I think that must have been in his mind to play the new lad there. And, and um, so he's done it. Things went well. You know, why would you change from that? Alex Scott is an interesting player. I'm still not sure where his best position is. He's a very, very talented lad and, and, and a lad you, you hope is one of the future stars of Bristol City. Though, again, if they got an offer for him, I'm sure he'd go. Um, I, I think he's happy at Bristol City um, and that's good. Uh, and I think he sees that he needs another season to develop, which, again, is good. I think if obviously he develops his full potential, he'll leave at some point because yeah. he's a very, very talented and he's, and he's done the stuff he's done with England. Uh, and I think he's he's very highly rated and known about all, all through the game. So he is going to attract offers if he starts the season well. But where you play him to start with, I'm not too sure. Wingback is such a tough position, Dave. I remember Scott Murray saying to me, it's the toughest position because... One minute you're meant to be getting crosses in one end and the next minute you're meant to be defending the, the other end. And I've seen it, people try to play it at, at club level and if you're not fit, you can't play it. And I'm not saying any of them are not fit, but but it's asking a lot. It's a demanding role, you know? And yeah. I hope City... I mean, that you, all, another of my great things all, all through the years is you have to base any successful team on a solid defence. And it, will ple- it wouldn't hurt any... Um, Shock to me if City drew their first game nil nil or one 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 nil. Yeah, or yeah. And um, the nils are really important, and they didn't have enough of them last season. And yeah. Nigel admitted there was too many individual mistakes. But to me, too many individual mistakes comes down to the players not being good enough or the system. That's why they make mistakes, you know. Yeah. So um, he's got to first and foremost, in my view, shore up. Well, the if you look, sure I mean, got a good goalkeeper and he's got a good back three. About getting the nils, you know, if you look at the two with like. If you say, well, Naismith has definitely strengthened the defence, and if Callas was available, then, you know, defence had Callas close and Naismith in. That's pretty damn good, yeah? But, yeah. Um, you know, if, if City, let's say Andy Vyman scores 15 goals this season, but we concede, instead of conceding 77, we concede 60, yeah? That's 17 goals less conceded. We've lost 10 goals, 8 goals from Andy Vyman. That would push us up to that, just theoretically, push us up to that 12th to 14th position. I think most sensible people would see as progress in the coming season. Would you agree with that? 12th to 14th? I think most sensible people would see it as progress, but it's not the sensible people that write on social media. And it will only take three or four defeats early season for the the Nigel Pearson out crowd to come back. Because they all like to say, I told you so. So the ones who've already said, 
like they did with Lee Johnson. I told you Lee Johnson should go when they, when they had eight matchup losing run. Now he's now we're having another losing run. Get him out, get him out. No, they aren't the sort of people who see the overall picture, who take the fact that he's had to sell players into consideration, take that how the team are playing, um, the fact that they had that wonderful League Cup run and all that. Those sort of things are forgotten in the view of the last three results or the last four results. Last yeah. And that has been a big problem for Bristol City over many, many years. And this is why... You said to me the other day, oh, there's a lot of optimism and expectation. There is always a lot of optimism and expectation. I can't think of a season at Bristol City don't start with a lot of fans expecting promotion. And it's totally unrealistic to expect promotion this season, in my view. So expectation uh, could kill them if if they have a, a, a start that falls way below expectation. That's when the trouble starts. That's when the manager comes under. Let's, let's honestly say, yes, 12 to 14, I'd take that. I'd bite someone's hand off for that now to finish 12th or 14th and then build from there. Yeah, and which with a few goals less conceded and maybe Vyman not capturing quite last season form, it's achievable. Let's look at the opening sequence of games then, uh, Richard. I mean, the way of looking at this season is almost like, well, a third of the season before the World Cup break, that's 16 games. But between July the 30th and August the 31st, excluding one Caribou Cup game, possibly two if we beat Coventry, they've got seven games in 33 days, yeah? Now, that's surely, surely Nigel's not going to play Chris Martin in every one of those games. You'd expect to see a bit of variability up front. But if you look at the games, there's no easy games in the division. You said Hull away. I, I, I agree with you. That, get a point up there on the opening day, that would be good. Hull away, and then Sunderland at home, uh, Wigan away, uh, Luton home, Cardiff home, and then Blackburn away, Huddersfield at home. So seven games. It's about 15% of the season. What is a good points tally for you from those seven? And surprisingly, Chris and Gregor were, <laughs> Chris Honor and Gregor, were up there 13 points. And I said, really? Um, Gareth Chilcott and, uh, and Gary and me, we were both saying probably... 10 or 11, and that would keep the critics at bay, and that would be an acceptable start, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, I don't look as far ahead as seven games. It is a busy period. <laughs> I think the first two games are absolutely crucial, and because City fans will expect to win them, and and uh, I don't care if it's Hull away or Hull at home, whatever, they beat Hull 5 0 at the end of last season. The people will say, well, that's a great start to the, to the season to, to go to Hull. Hull are a totally transformed team, they've made so many different personnel changes during the summer. They are nothing like the team that lost 5-0 at Ashton Gate at the, end of, at the end of last season. So forget that for a start. Going away on the opening day of the season is always tough because the, the, the home fans and the, 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 everybody starts on level playing field. Everyone wants to get off to a good start. And Sunderland at home, to me, is a pivotal fixture, even though it's only the second fixture, because they will bring 5,000 fans or whatever. It's going to be 25,000 people nearly in the ground. And if they win that, then that it will be a real launch pad to go ahead. If they lose it, especially having not got a great result at Hull, and Sunderland, I don't like playing promoted teams early in the mm. season because they're on a winning run. You know, yeah. their, their confidence is high from the previous season. Don't care whether it's a level below or not. Uh, you know, Bristol City at Arsenal in 1976. Yeah. Promotion from Arsenal, brilliant players, spent a lot of money. Bristol City on an absolute crest of a wave having one promotion, they go there and win. Yeah, because they had Malcolm McDonald making his debut. Well, that well, you, know, you, you, know, you know as well as yeah. I do, the sort of Alan Ball was playing, so you had, you, you had 
I was there that day, and City could have won four or five nil. To be yes, honest, yes, it could. I was there. Um, yeah, and uh, so I, you, you look at that, and that was because they were, you know, three or four weeks later, they'd lost a couple in the first division, lost Cheesley, and they were a much e- easier proposition for other teams to take on. But that day, they were a tough proposition for anyone because they were on the crest of a wave. Sunderland will come to Ashton Gate on the crest of a wave, backed by massive support, yeah. and that is going to be one hell of a tough game. <clears throat> Do you think, I mean, it's interesting you say about the support because 3,000 fans, this was a topic, Gary said it doesn't make any difference, but surrendering the whole of the Atio to 3,000 fans, and I'm sure this they, they've talked about it at the club, uh, you, you go to a club like Wolverhampton and they put the away fans in the lower section of that John Ireland stand that is opposite yeah. where the TV cameras are, yeah? Yeah. Sunderland with 3,000 there. And the same applies to Leeds and Cardiff and West Brom. Not that Leeds are in this division anymore, but all those big clubs that bring those crowds. Our crowd, when we do get going, we're amongst the best. But when you've got 3,000 away fans making a hell of a lot of noise up there, do you think there's got to be a different way to accommodate them, which might mean segregating and partitioning off? I would look, I would, I would, I would look, I would have looked at that a long time ago. Uh, and then we've got the opposite. Uh, the main volume of Bristol City support comes from a corner of the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, so the home fans are in the corner and the, and the away fans have got a whole end. So how does that make any sense? I don't, I don't know how it can be done, but I do believe it makes a difference. I think when you get a, that full um, end uh, of away fans, it must be great for the away team to to to, to be back like with a, a whole cop behind them, if you like. And uh, I I I don't like it. I think it, it does give an advantage to the other team, and I, I wish there was some other way of doing it. And as you say, the other grounds, Bristol City fans will go to other grounds and find themselves tucked away somewhere where they can't really make their presence felt, or certainly not as much. Um, even though they get fantastic away support, so I do. I think that isn't. I think that's an issue that should be. They good. could give them. They could give them half of the. They could give them a third of the Atio stand, and then they could give them half of the lower dolmen. Yeah, uh, because the thing about having our fans up in the dolmen, you remember back in the eighties, you know, when they put the away fans at that open end, clubs like when we played Millwall, would be people ripping seats up. Well, that's the fans. issue: stewarding and safety is the issue. Yeah. How would you do it safely? And that, but that if I think, is very low. If you kept them, because somebody said, "I'll oh, put them at the back of the lands, the, the lands down at the top." No, because they'll chuck stuff down yeah. on the regular yeah. fans. Well, if you put them in the corner, just split them in the corner of the atio and along the lower dolmen, yeah, or along two blocks of the dolmen. You'd have to partition off part of the dolmen underneath. But then they all come in that entrance. They don't all come in as they do at the moment. The entrance opposite where Wenlocks used to be. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how it can be done safely. And the yeah. other issue to think about is that trouble is creeping back into football. Crowd trouble is creeping. We're well, not creeping back, but it's coming back at quite a rate yeah. in football. And now clubs have got to be aware of that. Um, it's, um, it's something I, I'm very concerned about. I think um, we're regressing in that direction. Mm-hmm. I think there's more... There's more um, uh, behaviour in grounds now that's of, of a concern than there was three or four seasons ago, yeah. um, and and also that the internet uh, allows people to, to meet you know these these rivals to meet up and all that, and they can be a pub they meet at or whatever. <clears throat> and what we must be careful of is not being happy just to keep the trouble outside the ground. If there's trouble anywhere connected with a football match, football should be concerned. Yeah, 
Oh, um, so when you come when it comes to segregating the crowd and everything, it's a very tricky business. I understand that, but I do I do accept what you say. I think it is an advantage for away teams to have the whole fans be whole block of fans. Behind. What do you what do you think of the standard of uh, refereeing these days? Because when it was uh, when we had the lockdown season, you know, you didn't notice the referees and and what have you. But last season there was probably two or three occasions where they were absolutely appalling. Yeah, and I think they've got a new. In fact, not I think, I know. I think Kevin Friend is now the sort of coordinator of the EFL referees. Yeah, I was trying to get an interview with, uh, with him for the podcast, but uh, you know, there was a directive that came out that said that they're going to be asked to watch out for time-wasting. And I spoke to a football league, he, he runs a line in Premier and Championship matches. I spoke to him about time-wasting and substitutions, and we're now allowed... Five substitutions, but there's only three times that you can interview that interview, introduce them in play. So, what are your hopes and expectations for referees this season and this five subs rule? Well, I'm basically sympathetic to match officials. Um, of course, there are some bad ones. There have always been bad ones. There always will be poor, poorer ones and, uh, and, and better ones, you know. And sometimes you get the poor draw the poorer one, and sometimes you get the better one. But I hate blaming referees for defeats, blaming them for goals, blaming them. the number of times I've heard people say, um, you know, that, that goal they scored was never a corner. Well, defend the corners better than saying it was never a corner. You know, you, a corner isn't a goal. Okay, it might have hit your player's foot or the other player's foot and gone out for a corner. Then you defend the corner. You don't come out afterwards and say, well, we only conceded that goal because it was a wrongly given corner. So that was the linesman's fault. It was the referee's fault. That's just an example. But all through my career, I have never written... Um, a lot about managers complaining about referees because I don't agree with it. I don't like it. They can they can address problems by um, making their players better. They can address problems by, by changing the team formation. They cannot address the refereeing problem because that is never going to change. Uh, you can talk about should players be more players be referees? Should there be? I mean, referees are professional these days. They get they get a good deal of money, so people argue well, that that should make them better. But in the end, it's a split, some split second decisions. You know, uh, if one goes against the team early, the crowd get on the referee's back, and, and it's, it's been part of football forever. You know, and I, I, I don't think you're you're never going to get perfect refereeing any more than you get perfect umpiring cricket, yeah. or whatever. No matter how many cameras you put in place, uh, and I'm not a fan of VAR. We won't, we won't talk about VAR, please. But I, I never wanted VAR brought in because I think you can lose respect for the match officials by VAR showing them to be wrong, and and you will never get every decision right look how much controversy the ar causes people look at it something oh, through you, time you know you've got controversy yeah. so um I, I would always prefer i was brought up to say respect the referee's decision respect the umpire's decision if you're playing um and i've always told my lad who plays um western league football um you know you respect the referee's decision and you don't you know you don't argue just get on with it because what's the point of arguing you're going to change it and and you know you can be you can be frustrated after the game but there's no point getting yourself booked or sent off you know to, 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 add, to add to the problem so i think it's players what gets me about var is that players and managers wanted it so that every decision would be fair mm. and they cheat like mad yeah. So how can you have it both ways? If you dive about on a football field and try and con the referee, then how can you ask for VAR to make every every decision right? To me, yeah. So it, players have got to take responsibility partly. And one thing I noticed, by the way, going back to the women playing, 
Um, the little bit I watched the other day of a match, there was no diving about. They didn't. No. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't uh, there was not much. Not much foul play, to be honest. There was not not many fouls given away, um, and it was very technically good. And and it would be nice to think that men's football was a bit more like that at times. You know, having the technique that we want, but not the and an England player. manager, that didn't get, an England manager that didn't go into a shell and defend like uh, Gareth Southgate uh, seems to have uh, got bogged down with containment rather than expressive play. Well, I think managers bear a big responsibility. They're the ones who can stop their players diving. I, I know yeah. um, David Moyes, is a friend of mine, as you know, um, uh, is very hot on um, not wanting his letting his players dive and criticising them if they do. And other managers have been like it, but not enough. A lot of the managers defend them. And 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 they will say to me, I, 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 what's it, Joey Barton said to me last season, you know, we're, too, we're not streetwise enough. You know, other teams are conning the referee and we're not. Well, if every team takes that attitude, then it's going to be who cons the referee most. And then how can they complain when the ref they think refereeing decisions are wrong? Yeah. No, yeah. So my sympathies are with referees, basically. Yes, you get some bad ones. And sometimes after a game, you think, oh, that, you know, that was a dreadful penalty decision or something that's cost them. But the old adage always used to be refereeing decisions will even out over the course of a season. Yeah. And I believe that to be true. Yeah. It's interesting you say about penalties, because I think I know City have, Scored one and missed one in pre-season, but it'd be nice to uh, to have a few uh, in the season uh, coming up. Richard, uh, as always, been a pleasure uh, talking to you. I mean, uh, we're 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 part of the old school, as you said. I think you described yourself as a dinosaur at the beginning. Uh, it's um, you know you're a city fan as well. As can't escape from that fact. You want them to do well. You're a realist and a pragmatist. I mean, you know, I think. You're right what you say about social media, even podcasts and stuff like that. You know, you whip up hysteria. Uh, you know, I and, think and the unfair you... thing, Dave, just when butt in, right back to Terry Cooper's days, if we printed four letters in the Evening Post criticising him and, and it went one after the other, after the other, after the other, and then went on to the double page of letters in those days, we'll go on to another subject. He'd say, you've put, put, printed four letters all about that. What about the ones who are happy with what I'm doing? They're not writing in. And that is exactly right. That's why letters pages could be unfair. Now that is a thousand times more true of social media. The people who are happy with Lee Johnson aren't going to go on on, on, on social media and say, look, I, I think Lee's doing an all right job. He's selling players. That's not the sort of thing you put on social media. No. You put on Johnson out. Get, get him out, you know, the little so-and-so they used to call him, little this, little, little. And I used to think, do you really, as a chairman of a football club, want to be taking notice of the people who use lang bad language on Twitter to, to vilify a bloke like that? You know, when, when the, as you say, logical thinking was he was doing a decent job, Cottrell before him, um, good job. Why keep shooting yourself in the foot? Now, let's let Nigel Pearson, who's already, he's, he's had a decent amount of time now, but I keep going back to the fact he's only been able to sign free transfers this summer. And yeah. that is a huge, in the championship, to make it a successful, I mean a promotion team, out of free transfers is an absolute almighty task that I think is beyond virtually anybody. So uh, let's say he's got the players to build on from the team that he had before. And, and that if they have a half-decent season, some of the players will stay and see the potential of going forward. I say the better the team do, the more chance you've got of keeping your players. That's obvious. Yeah. Um, and then, hopefully, at some point, the money becomes available, either through a sale or whatever, to, to, to sign a, a proven goal-scoring striker, which I still think they need. Uh, yeah. And if you add that and you've got good young players, but don't bring your young players in, give them three games, then sell them. 
Lloyd Kelly. How, how often did I hear Lee Johns talk about Lloyd Kelly, an England player of the future? And you thought, well, he hadn't done anything yet. Then no. he gets in the team. And within no time, I don't know how many appearances he made, but he's, he's, he's gone to, you know, gone off in a £13 million move. Yeah. And, and well, so all your investment in him is gone. I think what could happen with Alex Scott, who I think is a lad with his head screwed on, just hearing the few things that he said. Yeah. He said, I don't want to sit on my backside in an under-23 team in the Premier League. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I think he genuinely believes that. Yeah. And I think I wouldn't rule this out, and it would solve City's financial problems at a stroke. I think he's so young that I wouldn't rule out a bid coming in for him or an offer coming in that's going to be eye-wateringly good and whoever buys him loans him loans back him to back. us for a season. Well, that's happening more and more in, in, in the game. Um, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, it would be attractive to Bristol. They've got, the bottom line is they've got to make some money somewhere. You know, yeah. £38 million in a season. I know. You know, for Brist- a club like Bristol City is up to me. I, I know it's, everyone says, oh, Steve Lansdowne writes off, Steve Lansdowne writes off. It's still an absolute shocking admission yeah. that you've you've lost £38 million. And that's with selling, in a period where you've sold some players. I you know. know. Covid's hit every team, I understand that. But um, the club has been run in a very poor way uh, over yeah. the last five years, let's say. And and now, as I said, I think they've got a really good administrator in Richard Ward, a top man in my view. They've got an experienced manager in Nigel Pearson who's done the job that they want, want doing. Give them both time to flip and do their yeah. jobs. And, 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 and let's hope that brings it back. But, no, Richard, but don't I'm, worry if they don't get off to a flying start. No, and I'm not, you're not going to commit yourself to a points total from the uh, opening seven, so I'm not going to push you on that. But uh, No, because I, 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 I mean, <laughs> you, you could say 15, and then they, they draw at Hull and lose to Sunderland, and suddenly everything gets revised. They could have a couple of injuries in the first couple of games, and it gets revised again. You can't look that far ahead. When I saw the fixtures, the first two stuck out in my mind, and I thought, Hull away... City fans will expect to win that one because they beat them five 0 not so long, not so long ago. Yeah. Totally different Hull side. Um, that match to me is I have no idea which way it'll go. What I do know is that Sunderland, with the backing they'll be bring, that's got to uh, be and, that's got to be, it's, gonna be it's a good it's got to be a good day in terms yeah. of atmosphere. But oh, fantastic! It, it it you know I mean if you ended up drawing the first two games, that wouldn't be a bad thing. Well, I, I don't like losing. I, I, I even yeah. look at a league table. I always look at the number of defeats, and and sometimes you see a team uh, at the lower end of the table who've drawn a lot but haven't lost a lot. And I always prefer that to a team that have won five and lost fifteen or something like that. You know, yeah. you know won fifteen okay. and lost fifteen. You know, um, because it suggests they're they're harder to beat. And Bristol City must become harder to beat this season. That's yeah. the first thing. Well, I we certainly, and we everything certainly else comes. Everything else comes from there. Of course, it does. Richard, as always, it's been a
Big Red Robin come bob, bob, bobbing along, along. There'll be no more sobbing when he starts robbing his old sweet song. Oh, wake up, wake up, you sleepyhead. Get up, get up, get out of bed. Cheer up, cheer up, the sun is red. Live, love, laugh and be happy. What if I've been blue? Now I'm walking through fields of flowers. Rain may glisten, but still I listen for hours and hours. I'm just a kid again, doing what I did again, singing a song. When the red, red robin starts bobbing along. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you still the last nugget snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? Our participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and time supply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.